I invite you to uh, open your Bibles to today's scripture reading, which is taken from the book of Daniel, chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Daniel chapter 3, starting at verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the councillors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the councillors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigone, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigone, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigone, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you, They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigone, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? This was the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. We continue in our series in the book of Daniel, and a quick recap from two weeks ago in chapter 2. We're reminded that King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. In the dream, he saw this statue, and if you look up, you'll see a picture. And Daniel interprets for him that this statue basically represented many kingdoms that is to come. The head was made of gold, and he said, King Nebuchadnezzar, this is you. Certainly, he thought... King of the castle, king of the castle, this is me. But what he didn't like was that following in the statue represented other materials 
other kingdoms. We remember that the chest and the arms are of silver, the middle and thighs of bronze, legs of iron and feet mixed with clay and iron. And Daniel basically tells King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, your rule will end, and there will be kingdoms after you, decreasing in power and in unity. More so, there will be a little stone, not made or carved out by the hands of man, that will come and strike this enormous image, and will make the dust blow into the wind to be nothing. And this little stone as we've heard two weeks ago, as it foreshadows Jesus and the kingdom of God, will grow and grow and grow to become a mountain that fills the earth and lasts forever. So at the end of chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar falls down on his face. He basically gives God praise, honors Daniel, and he says, Wow, your God is the one true God who knows all things. And you would think that King Nebuchadnezzar's holy reverence toward God would be genuine. But like all men and all women, given some time, pride blinds him once more. If we're honest with ourselves this morning, how often does this happen to us? We have some kind of experience, some kind of miracle or conviction or something puts us in awe and we say, you know what, from this day forward... I'm going to change my life. From this day forward, I'm going to stop doing X, Y, and Z, and I'm going to live for A, B, and C. Yet given a few days, we wake up and find ourselves stumbling, drinking, dipping, and immersing ourselves in the same things that we once said that we casted off. Friends, if we're honest with ourselves, we may see the pride of Nebuchadnezzar, And we may think, what a foolish man. But how often are we blind to our own pride? How often are we blinded by their own idols and statues and images that we desire and even make for ourselves? The strange thing here as we begin chapter 3 is that Nebuchadnezzar doubles down on his heart's desire. His dream, his hope, is that his kingdom will last forever, that his name and his legacy will endure. And so he does a strange thing, right? He remembers his dream, and he recreates these nightmares that he used to have into a fantasy that depicts his own desire. So what does he do? He builds up a statue made entirely of gold. And basically, basically what he's saying is, I, Nebuchadnezzar, can go against God's will, and my kingdom will be established, and it will last forever. Today's main point is this. If you look up, it's very simple. Idols say bow or burn, but Jesus says bow and live. Have you ever seen this in your own heart or witnessed this in someone else? You know, it's always interesting when when, when we are in realization of how twisted and and conniving our own hearts can be to to fool ourselves. It's even more apparent when we see this, maybe in our children or our friends or or someone doing this to us. And it's it's amazing how, how full of various justifications there are, poetic ironies, incredible imagination, and and deep blindness 
that lacks self-awareness. I can confess to you I found myself in this position more times than I'd like to admit. We're so creative when it comes to serving ourselves. We're so good at, at, at carving out, building up, devising all these intricate ways to get what we want. And we work so hard to do it. And we tire ourselves. And some of us even destroy ourselves rather than simply submitting to God's sovereignty. Why is this? Common answer, we're just, that's in our human nature. We're sinful. We're going deeper still. As the Bible tells us, it's because we're sinful, not just selfish, but at the root of that, a sinful people, a constantly self-seeking people, a people who do not submit to God's sovereignty and says, I can do this. I think, therefore, I am. And we often think that this autonomy equates to deity. We think we're God's. One song, I think, that depicts this so well, and nothing against this artist, but these lyrics, I think, capture it very well. And I'll just read it for you. The, the song is called Worship, and it's, it's not by a Christian or a worship leader, uh, but it says this. She says, oh, here we go. I feel like fire. I feel like rain. I can take you higher, but you got to earn it. Woo! I'm lit. Don't mess with it. Woo! Stand back. Let me do my, I can't use that word. Woo! I'm lit. Don't mess with it. She says, hands to the sky. Show me that you're mine. Hands to the sky. Show me that you're mine. And baby, worship me. Worship me. On your knees. Patiently, quietly, faithfully worship me. These are basically the words of King Nebuchadnezzar today to the people. Verse 1 starts out by telling us that, indeed, the king made this statue entirely of gold. It was 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. Ironically, Nebuchadnezzar, again, is trying to take his nightmare and the foretelling of what God is going to do and change it and wield it and navigate it to serve his own kingdom, his own legacy, his own desire. And he does this in such an ironic way, right? He's like, you know what? If the statue in my dream, the head of gold represented me, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a big statue, and I'm going to make it entirely of gold, and it will represent that there will be no other kingdoms, no other kings, no other legacy more important or prominent than me. There were weaknesses and flaws in the dream that I had in the statue. A little stone came and hit it and all crumbled because of the different materials. Well, mine is solid. Nothing will crumble it. Nothing will break it. My name, my kingdom, my legacy, all that I've built up will live forever. And he erects this statue. And we see the irony and this blindness and the pride that fuels this king. It's his way of asserting that I will be the one true king. This will be the one true kingdom. And my reign will be forever. And, and if, you, if you know the Bible, you, you can almost see this irony of how he's using God's words or, or the word of Jesus that, that proclaims these things. And he's saying, I am essentially God. Everything I do will last forever. He's doing this all to build a kingdom for himself. And, in, and if, if, if you don't see his insecurity now, 
commentary from the ESV Study Bible tells us that there is a Babylonian document dating from 605 to 562 B.C., and, and, it, and it, this is Nebuchadnezzar giving a warning about not taking this statue down. And, and, and I have it up here. Look with me. This is what is inscribed. This is what he says. He says, Beside my statue as king, I wrote an inscription mentioning my name. I erected for posterity for all the future generations. May future kings respect the monument. Remember the praise of the gods. He who respects my royal name, who does not abrogate my statues and not change my decrees, his throne shall be secure, his life last long, his dynasty shall continue. He's, he thinks he's God. He can... He thinks he can give the future generations and kings this kind of assurance. If you don't take down my statues, if you don't change my decrees, your throne shall be secure, your life will last long, and your dynasty shall continue. I, I, you know, I, I always thought the word, and it is, uh, dynasty is pronounced dynasty, but I, I saw a, uh, a British show, and they, they kept using and saying dynasty. So I thought I'd practice it. Dynasty, dynasty. I know some of you perked up like, somebody taken back to grammar school. But, I, you know, I personally like to pronounce it, thy nasty. That has nothing to do with it. But basically, Nebuchadnezzar is so full of himself as king that he would dare even promise and give assurance to the future kings that if you keep my statue up, my name here, and if you don't change anything that I've said, then you will live forever. And the question is, honestly, what power does Nebuchadnezzar actually have to impart this kind of hope? And we know as we go through the series that Nebuchadnezzar often represents the world, the worldly powers, the worldly authorities, the worldly wealth. And so the question here today, again, as we sit under God's word, friends, is what true power does the world have to give you any true security that if you chase after X, Y, and Z, that you will live long, that your generation will prosper, and that your name will be carried on. What earthly person, what earthly power can actually give you that? It's no doubt Nebuchadnezzar here is wrestling with his own mortality, his frailty. If someone was truly a god and could last forever, why spend so much time and labor trying to establish a material statue? He's wrestling with his frailty. He understands deep down inside that he's just dust. I want to show you a picture. Please don't go there yet, but <clears throat> I saw a picture online of a did you already go there? Oh, it's over. Let's pray. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I saw a picture online of a, of a church bulletin, I think it was. And you know how things are on the Internet. I don't know if it's real. I don't know if someone did it to make a point, but it's funny, right? It's pointing out a, a hilarious typo. So go ahead, you know, with uh, less laughter. Okay, there it is. All right, the picture said, remember, and it's quoting the Bible. It's trying to. It says, remember that you are but dust. 
and into dust you shall return. And if you didn't pick it up already, there's an extra T in there where it shouldn't be. You know, this is why the Bible tells us, don't add or take away anything from God's Word. But I thought, you know what? Maybe this isn't a typo. Maybe this is just a dynamic translation. We are but dust. And to dust we will return. And as silly and humorous as that is, how true is that? What happens when we die and when we're buried? Some of our family members turn us into dust earlier. That's not funny. I don't know why I even made that comment. But in honesty, as we face death and mortality, what more are we when time has passed than simply dust? What is our name but just a memory? What true power and lasting life or hope do we have? We don't. We don't. And Nebuchadnezzar deep down inside knows this, and he's wrestling with this. Moving on, verse 1. I'll tell you, you know I'm a Reformed preacher because I uh, just spent most of our time expositing half of verse 1, but we're going to move on, okay? Verse 1 continues. It tells us that Nebuchadnezzar not only set up the statue, but he placed it in the plains of Dora, the province of Babylon. This not only recalls the similar location of the Tower of Babel, but it also recalls the same goals that these people had when they tried to build up this tower. You don't have to turn there. I'll summarize it for you. Genesis 11 tells us this, that at this point in history, mankind on all the earth had one language and people were united together and they were building for themselves a kingdom that would reach the heavens, the tower of Babel as we know it. It was a way that they were trying to assert themselves to say that we can reach God or that we are better than God or at the very least we don't need God. It was a way of a unified selfish, sinful mentality that said, I can do anything I put my mind to, and I don't need this so-called God of heaven. This will be our kingdom. Our names will last forever, and when history remembers us, they will see us as kings. And they started to build and build and build, and we know the Lord looked upon them, saw this, and graciousness came down and stopped all this nonsense. And scattered them before they ruined themselves. Nebuchadnezzar had the same goal in mind. He wanted to unite everyone under his rule. He wanted to establish a kingdom that would reach beyond heaven and even the need for the God of heaven. And, and, and mind you, just in chapter 2, he fell flat on his face. And mind you that there's such interesting, twisted ways. Now he builds up a statue of all gold and he wants everyone else to fall on their face to his name and his statue. In fear, he doesn't submit to God, but in fear, he doubles down on his heart's desire and idols. Dynasty, right? So this is what he does. And he places us at this historic location. And he gathers all the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials, and all the providence. And once they're gathered, check this out. This is what verse 4 and 6 tells us. Look up with me. It says this. Once they're all gathered, and the herald proclaimed out loud, You are commanded, O peoples, nation, and languages, 
that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. What's happening here? Nebuchadnezzar had a herald who proclaimed his words. What does that remind you of? He basically had his own preacher. He saw himself as a god. He didn't talk to people directly. He passed it on to his mouthpiece. And then his mouthpiece proclaimed his decree, basically giving a call to worship. He said, all right, folks, gather around, gather around. When you hear the music or any kind of funky music, fall flat on your face and bow to a statue. We're going to throw you in the fire and you're going to die. Do you see the ironic blindness of this whole circus in light of the one true God who calls us to worship in grace and in love? This is how you know worship is innate and natural to us. The problem is we often get confused and think that we are the ones that should be worshipped. I know you would never say it out loud. It's hard for me to say it out loud, but if we're honest, there is a part of us that desires people just to to worship us. Not in this grand way, maybe, but at least in small ways to respect us, to worship us. Or at the very least, we desire to worship other things because we think they can promise us long life, long life for our generations. As they're all instructed... The message is simple. The message of the preacher that belongs to the world, that belongs to Nebuchadnezzar, is simple. It's bow or burn. Bow or burn is what the world's preacher says. You know, mankind hasn't gotten much better. If you search on the Internet largest statues in the world, Many will come up. In fact, if you go to Wiki, you have a nice full list. And so tonight, if you don't have much to do, go ahead and just search that and just be enamored. But here's the interesting thing I realized. I really wanted to know, you know what? How, how tall was Nebuchadnezzar's statue? How grand was it? How mighty was it? 90 feet? I don't know. Some of us can't really imagine what 90 feet is. The largest statue in the world currently if the internet is correct, and we know sometimes it is not always, is the Statue of Unity in India that depicts Sadar Vallabhai Patel, standing at 600 feet. The second largest is the Spring Temple Buddha in China, standing at 420 feet. The third largest is the Laikun Sekya. Ooh, I almost said a curse word in Korean. Again, depicting Buddha in Myanmar. Sorry, that was a, uh, a tribal joke, but it's, we'll move on. Another Buddha statue. Buddha's winning so far. The fourth is also, you guessed it, Buddha, a statue in Japan. And I know some of you worship another god, so I'll give you this reference. The NFL goalpost is about 45 feet tall from the ground and 18 feet wide. <laughs> so smaller than uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's statue. But, you know, I don't have to give you all these lists for you to basically know that as history has progressed, mankind, for some reason, started to think, yeah, 
we can make our own kingdom. We can last forever. Or we can at least build a legacy that will endure time. We don't really need God. And instead of having our eyes open and seeing the one true God, we hear bow or burn, and we say, you know what? I'll bow or build my own, and maybe I can ward off the burning. Some of us bow, some of us build, but at the end of the day, bow or build, the only thing the world can offer is burn. But how do the people respond? Immediately in verse 7, we're told that as the music played, the people fell on their face and worshipped this golden image. But not everyone bowed. We're told that Shidrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused. Word got back to King Nebuchadnezzar, so he called these three men. And gracious of him, he gave him another opportunity. He said, hey, is this true? Is this true what you're doing? i got to see this for myself. Will you defy me to my face? And he said, hey, play that funky music, everybody. And he says, if you don't bow down right now, you will burn. And so perhaps in the court, the music played, and everyone's just staring. Are these guys serious? These three men, Cedrach, Meshach, Ebendigo, they're standing there. The music is playing. This, everyone's turned to the direction of the statue. And I can almost imagine one of the guys going, What? Sorry, were we supposed to do something? <laughs> Tying his shoes. They would not bow. They would not bow. They would not worship. They would not accept, believe, hold on to Nebuchadnezzar's empty promises of lasting and eternal life. And so in fury, our verse leaves off in 15, as Nebuchadnezzar says these words, but if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. And the last phrase here will echo, and we will let it echo until next week. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hand? We bookmark here, but here's how we will conclude today. As much as we would like to think that we are like Shadrach, Meshach, and Ebendigo, if we're honest, we're more like Nebuchadnezzar and the people who worship him out of fear. If we're honest, we fancy ourselves as gods, granted a little lowercase, humble g, but gods nonetheless. We think our autonomy makes us equal to deity. We try to build and rule our little kingdoms, And if we don't have our own little kingdom yet, we bow to as many people we need to until we're given the opportunity to build, climb the ladder, and we give all of ourselves to this in hopes that we will establish to some degree our own name and legacy. For some of us, it might be something as small as getting our name on a little plastic flap that sticks on our desk or the office door. For some of us, it's as small as just wanting someone is above you to remember your name and respect you. Perhaps all we want that is from our kids, our coworkers, or even strangers. It may be as grand and big as wanting to leave a legacy for your posterity. You know, one of my one of my <clears throat> close friends. You know, he asked me just straight up, like, "Hey, you ever look at Instagram and just like struggle with how much fame and glory people have?" And I said. Honestly, no, not, not in this season, not right now. I don't really covet fame and glory. 
And I thought it was going to end there, right? And so and then he says, so what do you covet? I'm like, oh, man, dude. Come on, man, we're just hanging out, man. And I'm the pastor, of course. I'm like, come on, man, we have to go that deep? And I said, honestly, right now, I covet wealth. He said, what do you mean, you want more money? And I said, no, nah, I don't want, I, I want wealth. I want the ability to establish and never worry about my kids and the future generations. I don't... I want the ability to not wait in line or to pre-order. I want the ability to just click and whatever I need or want to be there. I want the, I want the, I want the wealth to be a soft pillow on my head so I don't have to worry about bills or, or medical bills or car payments or mortgages. I want wealth enough so that I can have land so that I don't have to worry about privacy or, or grinding gears with neighbors. I want enough wealth so that I don't have to deal with anything except just do what I want. <laughs> but can't believe I said that out, all that out loud, but if we're honest, perhaps some of you covet that kind of wealth, because we think that wealth promises a legacy or ensures a legacy. We think maybe perhaps that wealth can somehow immortalize our name, that it can actually, some of us think that wealth can maybe help us sleep better at night. If that were true, Nebuchadnezzar would be able to sleep, but we're told, if we remember in the previous chapters, he had nightmares and the sleep left him. The great king with all his glory and riches and wealth, with all his land and servants, he could not rest. If we truly believe this morning that we are but dust, or but dust, if we truly believe that our only hope is not in this world but in Jesus, then friends, The word from the Lord today is not bow or burn, but the word from the Lord today is bow and live. Friends, today we hear the call to cast down our idols, our statues, our images, the things that we've carved out, to once more let the little stone shatter our kingdoms, to turn from the things that say bow and burn and turn to the one who says bow and live. Bending the knee to earthly powers and authorities, bending our knees to build our house of cards, even bending our knees to try to get our children higher up in this world will most likely only lead to shattered dreams in a fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar tried to build his own kingdom in pride and in vain. Jesus built his kingdom in humility by giving up his life for sinners. Nebuchadnezzar and the people are trying to save themselves through a statue. Jesus died on the cross for your sins to save you for eternity. Nebuchadnezzar was so afraid that people would forget his name. Jesus says, I know you by name. Nebuchadnezzar, a scared king, called people to frantically worship him. Jesus, the true king, calls you to rest in him. Nebuchadnezzar would kill off anyone who doesn't come to him. Jesus lays down his life so that we can go to him. If you look up with me, Philippians 2, 9 through 11, because Jesus in humility first laid down his life for our sins, we are told that God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, and that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're told here that it's not Nebuchadnezzar who can promise 
blessings and posterity and future, but it's God of heaven who has given this power and authority to none other than Jesus, who counted his life as nothing, who counted his life as one to be sacrificed for his people, who didn't make an image of himself to say bow to it or burn, but who laid his own life down to say bow and live, bow with me and live. Romans 10, 13, this is why as our elder prayed this morning, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Friends, can we go to the Lord today in repentance? Can we bow at the name of Jesus? Can we know that this world only has furnaces for us at the end of the road? Jesus doesn't threaten us with bow or die, but in humility and in love, no matter how far you have run, no matter how far you feel, no matter how many times you stumbled in that same sin, if you would humble yourself, he says, bow and live. So my hope this morning is that we would bow our hearts, that we would bend our knees, that the Spirit would come and make us humble, that we would turn our eyes from evil things, that we would cast down our idols, that the Lord would give us clean hands and pure hearts once more, as King David prayed in the psalm, that we would not lift our souls to another, but that we would bend it at the foot of the cross to the king who laid his life down so that he can bring many sons and daughters to glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are the God of heaven. You are the one who belongs wisdom and might. You are the revealer of mysteries. You are the one who grants power and authority. And you have done this for Nebuchadnezzar for a short time, but only to show us that he, as an earthly king, will not last forever. And so we look to the little stone once more that is not carved or made by human hands, the stone that is your own very son and prince of peace and the kingdom of God that will come and shatter all the kingdoms of this world and be established as a great mountain that lasts forever. And we ask, Lord, knowing that the idols are not just out there in the world but so very much in our own hearts, that you would come and shatter the false hopes that we would have, that you would be gentle and gracious but that you would shatter all that is false in our hearts that tries to give us no hope at all. And that you would give to us with opened eyes, with open ears, and a full heart that desires Jesus, who calls us in humility to bow and to live. So Spirit, take us to deeper repentance and lead us to deeper faith. We pray this in Jesus' name.